The legends are true. But overwhelming power! The sauce of destiny. Yes! The most legendary sauce has arrived as McDonald's transforms into the anime world of Wickdonald's. The greatest flavors unite in all new savory chili McDonald's sauce to make your 10-piece Nuggets, fries, and Sprite ultra-powerful. Unlock manga comics with every meal and sit down for a new anime short every week only at Wickdonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba, go! And participate in McDonald's for a limited time while supplies last. Welcome to the Barnyard with Steve Robertson. As always, I am your good friend and host, Steve Robertson, here on the Hump Day edition of the Yard. That's three days in a row. You're probably getting sick of me by now. I'm getting sick of me by now. I'm ready to go play a football game. It's tomorrow night. Battle for the Golden Egg. A chance for Mississippi State to recapture the egg and post an 8-4 and four regular season. That's, uh, that's what we projected this year. It's eight and four on this show. Some other people were a little uh, conservative, said seven and five. Some worse than that. Some got a little overly optimistic, thought we could beat Georgia. <laughs> I never thought we could. And some thought nine and three, but I think eight and four was pretty much on par with what people thought was kind of a best case scenario for state this year. Of course, you get into the season and you begin to think, you know, hey, we should have beaten LSU. You know, one could argue two or some games we probably should have lost. I go back to that Auburn game, and I was talking to the illustrious hind dog last night. We speak regularly about college football and a variety of topics. We talked about how, in hindsight, you know, that win over Auburn looks a little bit better than it did maybe Sunday morning. You know, a lot of people are like, oh, you know, we couldn't even get up to play this Auburn team with an interim coach, and they've had a coaching change, and blah, 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 blah. You look in hindsight and you look how hard that Auburn has played for Cadillac Williams the last few weeks, you begin to realize that was a good win. Auburn's got some dudes. They weren't properly coached before now, but they got some dudes. That's a win. It's a good win. And I think if we had told you at the beginning of the year, you're going to beat Arkansas, A&M, and Auburn, you'd felt pretty good about life because you say, you know what, we get those three, we get our four non-conference games, pick up a win or two somewhere else, it's going to have been a good season. And again, I think beginning of the year, the best case scenario is eight and four with the golden egg. And hopefully you can win a ball game there and get the nine wins. And considering that many people forecasted Mississippi State to have the most difficult schedule in the country, I think eight or nine wins this year is, is a win. You may disagree. You're entitled to your opinion. I may not agree with it, but I won't begrudge you the fact that you may disagree with me. We're going to talk about Ole Miss at depth in depth today. We're going to talk about what they do well, what maybe perhaps we got to do to win a ball game, kind of look inside the season. We're going to address some of these rumors that are out there kind of making their way around on both sides of the rivalry. Talk about the importance of winning, and I'll give you my prediction for the game. And we'll call it a day. And then we'll get ready for Thanksgiving. Uh, my oldest daughter, Audrey, got in town last night. My oldest son, Ani and his wife, Betsy, and my lovely granddaughter, Vivi, will be here today, so I have all of my kids under one roof. And then I'm hitting the road this weekend to go see the wife. Cannot wait to go. I would leave right now. I absolutely would leave right now if I could, but I'm going to enjoy this time with my kids, and we're going to go down and see my sister, Kim, and all of my family on that side on Thursday, and then we're hopefully going to watch Mississippi State win an intercollegiate football game that night. And then we'll go from there. But, yeah, I'm eager to hit the road. And it's not the fact that I'm eager to get back out to New Mexico. My wife's a travel nurse these days. I'm just ready to be in her presence again. It's been a while. Went out there and saw her when we played Arizona. Probably should have stayed longer. Kind of kicking myself for that now. 
But no, workaholic Steve had to rush to get back to go to a press conference that anybody else on the staff could have, have covered. But it, nevertheless, can't change the past. We can only change what it means. So I'm going to go out there and uh, spend some time. Your recording schedule will not change because I can record from anywhere. So just a programming note, we'll be back on Friday to recap the ball game. Hopefully it's a Bulldog win. But we'll be here either way because your good friend and host is no punk. And then we'll get into our regular schedule next week. So there you go. That's what's going on these days. Let's thank our friends at Bulldog Burger Company. I love Bulldog Burger Company. I love them more than a friend. I love them before they love me. So happy to partner with them. I like to do business with winners. And that's what you get with the Eat With Us group, a company that has served this wonderful region of our amazing state for many years. Bulldog Burger Company now basically created an empire. Got three locations now to serve you. University Drive here in Star Vegas with that great patio area. Lake Harbor Drive in the Ridge and Flowood area. And then Gloucester Street there in Tupelo. Go by and check them out today. Have the spring rolls as your appetizer. They will make you and everybody around you better looking. Maybe you want that good restaurant quality hamburger, the best in the, best in the state. There's no question about it. And there's so many great options to choose from. If you're new to Bulldog Burger Company, have the Bulldog. And then next time, maybe get a little more adventurous. Maybe the smokehouse is the way to go. But, I, you know, the Pimentology Ad Bacon is the Boneyard official burger. If you've never had it, I'm telling you, go check it out. I don't even like pimento and cheese sandwiches. I, I don't. I, th- I think it's a weird, weird, weird taste. But the Pimentology is outstanding. I would eat 10,000 of those before I would eat one pimento sandwich. Go check them out and get that chocolate shake to go. I am a big proponent of dessert to go. Bulldog Burger Company, the place where people go to meet. M-E-A-T. All right, let's look into uh, the series a little bit. We discussed some of this yesterday. and had a lot of good feedback, too, from the show, and I want to thank you guys for that. A lot of people said, hey, Steve, I didn't know this, didn't know that. That's what I'm here for, to educate and entertain. So appreciate your comments about the show yesterday. But this series began forever and a day ago, back in 1901. We talked about that yesterday. 1901 State wins the first game, 17 nothing. Ole Miss returned favor. And the first two meetings were in Starkville, just so you know. And then we tied over in Columbus and excuse me, we tied up in Oxford for the very first meeting. And then, you know, it was kind of back and forth for a while. We played in Columbus. We went to Jackson for a while. The very first meeting in Jackson we discussed yesterday, State won 11 nothing. Very difficult year for Ole Miss Athletics. They got it going the next year, though. They beat us, and we won the ne- then we won the next two. And, again, the game for in Jackson for a while. Now, from two- 1915 was kind of the resumption of the rivalry. In 1911, we won 6-0. The next three years, Ole Miss would not play us. Now, I have looked into this as best I can. There's a lot of great websites out there, and, and you can go to the archives on the Mississippi State campus if you're into media and get those old reflectors. That uh, It's so wonderful that we have those as a resource. But Ole Miss wouldn't schedule us. They were, quote, upgrading their schedule. They didn't want to play us. And so in 12, 13, and 14, there was no meeting between State and Ole Miss. In 1915, we took out three years of frustration on them and won 65 to nothing. I've joked with Mike Leach before, that's the standard. That's where you got to get. That, that's what you're aiming for, 65 nothing. And you, gotta, you can't tie it, you got to beat it. And what's interesting, too, is Ole Miss didn't score for three consecutive years, three consecutive meetings, excuse me. The following year, we beat them 36 nothing. But, again, those meetings were in Tupelo. 
But again, State put together a great run there from 1915 all the way to 1925. State won every meeting. And, of course, I mentioned yesterday, Ole Miss did not score in 10 of those 13 meetings. And then we introduced the Golden Egg, and it flips the script a little bit. Ole Miss dominates the rivalry for a while. In 1936, State gets a win, 26-6. Go back to Oxford the next year and win 9-7. Then Ole Miss wins in, in 38, and State wins four in a row. I mean, so it's been, it's been nip and tuck for a while until Johnny Vaught got hired. Alan McKean was fired, and then Johnny Vaught was hired. Interestingly enough, Johnny Vaught was the head football coach down in Corpus Christi on the air base down there where Harper Davis played. Harper Davis, a Bulldog legend, also uh, someone I was very fortunate to interview for Alpha Dogs, played for John Vaught down there, and then uh, John Vaught, of course, went to be the offensive line coach at Ole Miss and ultimately the head coach. But things changed, and I touched on this yesterday. Ole Miss did a tremendous job recruiting World War II veterans. Absolutely amazing job. Alabama did it as well, but State was very much behind in that. We had a handful of guys. And you want to see Ole Miss's rise to prominence during that time. I attribute a lot of that to Johnny Vaught's willingness to identify and recruit World War II veterans. Really made a difference. You can go to, kind of do the research for yourself, but that is that was we talk about the division and, and the difference in the series. It's what twenty games difference. It's this stretch. It's this stretch from nineteen forty seven to nineteen sixty four. State ones in sixty four, but for years and years and years we had farm boys playing against World War II veterans. We did, and it was nothing improper about it. I mean, everybody was able to do what the NCAA opened the door. For those veterans to have uh, you know four years of eligibility provided they had not played already and so Ole Miss took full advantage we did not now we talked about Bob Sanders yesterday kind of having it out for Alan McKean uh, that's more of a viable reason for me is the fact that we did not maximize the opportunities afforded to us by the NCAA to recruit World War II veterans but Ole Miss did and you tip your cap you did a good job with it and, of course, after that 64 game, you know, we didn't win again for the next th- four years. We did tie back in 68, uh, five years, excuse me. And then in 70, we, Robert Bell and uh, Frank Dowsing. Dowsing with a big pick in that game. Frank Dowsing got rest his soul from Tupelo, and we just lost Robert Bell earlier this year. Very fortunate to interview Robert Bell. He was also in Alpha Dogs. Rocky Felker and Stark Villains. He and Howard Lewis we sat down one day after a, an event at the uh, Starville Country Club and just sat and talked football for a while. I remember Howard Lewis telling me this. They had this uh, pre-camp. Ray Perkins had come over, and they had this, this pre-camp thing. They had hot boxes and all kind of crazy stuff that you couldn't do today. And he said he told himself, if I can live through this, I can live through anything. And he goes, at any point in his life when he's faced some adversity, he goes, I remember that pre-camp that we had with, with Ray Perkins that changed the course of my life. And I thought to myself, if I can survive that, I can survive anything. Really love Howard Lewis, his wife Betsy. They're great people, absolutely great people. If you know, To know them is to love them. And so if you know them, and I always joke that Betsy was probably the homecoming queen at stage. She says she wasn't, but she would have had my vote. She is an absolutely wonderful young lady. All right, so we get into the 80s. Of course, we talked about the 80s. wasn't a great decade for us. We go 3-7. and seven. John Bond with a couple wins. Eric Underwood with a win there in 87. Uh, probably one of the more unexpected wins during that stretch was State winning that game 30-20. to 20. 
to see my things win our way. Ole Miss gets the next three, and then the King shows up. Jackie Sherrill shows up, and then you know, what was Jackie? What seven, seven and two to start his career here at Mississippi State against Ole Miss, and that includes the uh, you know the stand as they call it, the game we should have won. And give Ole Miss credit; they made the plays to win. But Jackie wins in '91, loses in the stand game in '92, wins in '93, wins in '94. '94 is a good game too. Ninety-five, we lose thirteen ten. Come back in ninety-six. That's the year too. Jackie Sherrill was under incredible pressure in ninety-six. Incredible pressure. Looked like we were trending towards a coaching change. Then out of the blue, the Bulldogs beat Alabama. Yeah, that's right. We beat Alabama. It upset the the SEC Western Division race. LSU ultimately wins. Pretty insane. And then the next week. Jackie Sherrill and the Bulldogs go into Oxford and played in the absolute slop and won that game 17 to nothing. I remember where I was. I was working for Hollick Myers Furniture at, uh, I guess it was um, 9990 Johnson Street, Lafayette, Louisiana. I think that's right. Anyway, I was there and uh, quit taking customers so I could watch us put it away. And then Kevin Sluter, of course, with the, uh, the big scoop and score late to remove all doubt. But all of a sudden, we felt like we had some juice. So let's hang on to Jackie. Okay, we, we're good. We'll just hang in here. Let's give it another year. The 97, of course, the crazy game. That's, that's a game, too. I go back. We asked Brian Hazelwood to attempt a field goal to put the game away. Had Hazelwood made that field goal, it would have been a two-score game. It would have been 17-7 with just a little bit of time to go in the ball game. But instead, we missed the field goal. In hindsight, I'm punting there. Just me, Stuart Patridge, of course, uh, put together a nice drive that ended with the two-point conversion to Corey Peterson. And they win 15-14. And then go on to the Motor City Bowl and played Randy Moss and Marshall. The winner of the 97 Egg Bowl was kind of known ahead of the game that the winner would go to the bowl game and State would, and the loser would not. State went 7-4 and four that year and stayed home. So when we talk about having too many bowls, remember that. that we, not only were we a winning team, we were three games over 500. We didn't get to go because we lost that bowl game. And Ole Miss won the Motor City Bowl. In 98, we win the Egg Bowl. And that's, again, that Romero-Miller game, wrote it in play. I was a Romero-Miller fan, even though he went to Ole Miss. The guy was really good, really athletic. I think it was kind of like the new wave quarterback, not just in the SEC and Mississippi, but really nationally. You know, you had, you had some guys like Jamel Holloway when I was a young guy, because I'm from the 1900s. They were kind of run-first quarterbacks. But Miller, I think, had a pretty good blend of athleticism that made him an excellent forward passer, but he also had the athleticism. They didn't have a lot of design quarterback runs for him, but you always had to respect it, right? And there were a lot of people that you know thought State might get him because he was from Shannon, Mississippi, but ultimately goes to Ole Miss and has a really good career. But he didn't play in that 98 game. And State wins it and celebrates an SEC West Championship in Vaught Hemingway Stadium. And again, you know my thoughts about that. Until they do that at Davis Wade Stadium, there's really not much for us to talk about. You know, the next year, that's the uh, the 99 game, one that we'll never forget. State down 20 to 6. DeCenzo Miller had fumbled a punt. We thought all was lost. We come back to win the game. 2000, Deuce McAllister killed us. That's the flu game for Wayne Madkin. We get up, what, 16 nothing in the game. We have to pull Madkin, and Kevin Fant comes in. And We've had all sorts of problems. If I remember correctly, we had some fumble that really got Ole Miss going. And then uh, Deuce McAllister with a big run late to kind of remove all doubt in the ballgame. I was with my mother-in-law. She was with us at my parents' house for Thanksgiving. 
And as Deuce broke into the secondary, she said, man, he sure runs pretty. And I started to put her out of the car. I started, I said, you know what? You find your own way home. There's some things we don't talk about. But obviously, Deuce McAllister, a great player at Ole Miss. And, and I'll tell you this, too, and I, and I don't know if we've talked about this on the show. You know, a lot of people are a little bit worried about when he became a color commentator with the SEC Network. I think Deuce McAllister's been really good. I know when he calls our games, I, I never get the sense that he's a rebel. I think the guy comes across, you know, very credible and he's a pro. You know, sometimes some of these guys get on there on the SEC Network and they want to make it all about themselves. I don't get the sense that Deuce McAllister does that. And I, I do. I have some respect for that. I really do. 2001 was a terrible year at Mississippi State. Terrible, terrible year. And, of course, we were able to salvage something. Desenzo Miller with a huge game against Ole Miss to win 36-28. 2002, we had a great chance here. And if I remember correctly, it was Eli hitting that. I think it was Chris Collins on a third down play. We had a chance. I think it was the 17-12 ball game. We needed to stop, have a chance to go down there and win. And then um, Eli with a big pass there. Opened up a three-game winning streak for the Rebels. In 2003, Jackie Sherrill's last game in the pouring down rain. It was miserable. Brought my son and my brother, and we went, just hoping to see the Bulldogs salvage a victory. It was never any fun from the start to the finish. We left, I think, early in the third quarter. And I think Eli had a couple fumbles in that ballgame, just to show you that really the score is not truly indicative of how much Ole Miss dominated his football game. Jackie's last game. And we came out in those white helmets with the maroon numerals on the side. Hope we never do that again. 2004, we go up there and lose that game, too. And um, and just one of those games, too, you look at in hindsight, it's just not memorable because we played so incredibly poorly. I remember we had a chance. We – I can't remember who it was, but we made a long pass down the field like we were about to go make a play, and then we fumbled the football. You know, it's just one of those days where nothing happens. And it ultimately was the last game that David Cutcliffe coached at Ole Miss in Oxford. And I remember listening to the post-game show and you could kind of hear in David Cutcliffe's voice that something wasn't quite right. And the next thing you know, he's negotiating with Pete Boone. And there's talk about he's, they want to force you know coaching changes within the staff. And then just like that, Cutcliffe was gone. I remember my son, Ani, had a shirt, a shirt, a sign that we, we brought to the game. It said, Cutcliffe gets croomed. Well, technically he didn't. But that was it, the end of an era. And David Cutcliffe, even to this day, you don't find anybody that speaks negatively about David Cutcliffe. He's been an SEC observer. He's been to some Bulldog practices this year, had a chance to speak to him. And, uh, again, everybody thinks a lot of Coach Cutcliffe, for sure. 2005, that's the Jarius Norwood IV game. Remember that? Huge, huge game for State. We win 35-14. So, am, I, am I getting my memory, my memory right, wrong here, right, wrong, whatever? But, uh, yeah, it was big. It's big to say the least. The 2017 game, that's the one. Adam Carlson had a chance, I believe it was a 51-yard field goal, to kick it and tie it, and it sailed just just right there. And I remember correctly, I think it was Marche Green, a kid from Bastrop, Louisiana, had a couple of big uh, returns in this game that kind of turned the tide for, for Ole Miss. But uh, anyway, it was a win, and Orzrano's guys win the egg. 2007, of course, we discussed that kind of at length yesterday. Ole Miss up 14-0, goes for it on fourth down. Brandon Cooper, the play of his career, ultimately sparks the comeback. 2008, the most miserable game I've ever attended. I left it early. 
We get beat 45 nothing. Could have been much worse than that. I remember Brandon McRae had that terrible injury. Really the only highlight of the game for me was Chris Ralph. They put Chris in the ball game late. He kind of comes on a little quarterback keeper and he runs over Jamarcus Sanford and gets up and stares at him. I'm thinking, you know what, look at the scoreboard. But at the same time, too, it showed that Ralph had a little bit of moxie. And I remember, too, talking to uh, one of our coaches, our former assistant coaches. He said after the ball game that Greg Byrne and Mike Nemeth, who works for us now, that Byrne turned to all the administrators and said, hey, let's give Coach Crum some time along with his team. And one of the assistant coaches told me I knew we were fired right then and there because that had never happened before. They had never done that. And that was it. That was it. And it had to be. It was miserable. Absolutely miserable. Dan Mullins, first year, of course, we win. 41-27. Wins the next three. The 2010 game, that was the uh, Jeremiah Masoli game. And Chris Ruff went up there and had a really, really big game. And that's why Chad Bumpus uh, broke his collarbone in that game. Went able to play in the Gator Bowl. We were a good team. They weren't. It was still a competitive game. And the next year, of course, they come up there and in the midst, we run the Ralph Coast offense all over them. 2012, and this is where, uh, you know, the Hugh Freeze era really kind of took off. They had to beat us to get bowl eligible. And I didn't think they would. And I, I will give Hugh Freeze credit for one thing. He really humbled Dan Mullen. You know, before this, Dan Mullen's on Twitter and he's talking trash about Ole Miss and calling him T-Sun, that kind of stuff, and all of it. But Hugh Freeze, I don't know what it was about Hugh, but once Hugh started winning some football games here, and, and I think maybe Dan Mullen realized what a great offensive mind that Hugh Freeze was, and maybe he didn't want to poke the Badger. But you didn't see Dan Mullen out there talking trash anymore about Ole Miss once Hugh Freeze got there. It's just an observation there. 2013, of course, that's the Dak Prescott come from behind game. But uh, from there, you know, things have been kind of interesting. You know, it's been kind of back and forth. You know, we talk about nobody's ever been able to kind of put a streak together. The last three-game winning streak in the series belongs to Mississippi State. That's 2009 to 2011. We're looking to avoid that this time. And when you look at you – know, Ole Miss has only had one other opportunity in, in recent memory to extend the streak to three games, and that was back in 2016 when they had Shea Patterson and Nick Fitzgerald uh, ran all over them. So it's been, you know, nearly 20 years since Ole Miss has had a three-game winning streak in the series. You would have to go back to the early 2000s when they did it from 2002, 2003, and 2004 when you know, Mississippi State was really in really bad shape there. But, uh, you know, since the league has expanded you know, back in 91, that is the, um, that's a long three-game winning streak, you know, for Ole Miss. And so we're trying to prevent that from happening uh, this year. Let's take a look at this year's uh, schedule for Ole Miss. You know, we all knew that it was very light on the front end, and that, that's not a criticism. That's just kind of the reality of it. We knew it's almost like uh, you know some schedules from years ago that uh, we had at State where we would schedule very light in the non-conference and hope we could get some upsets along the way, but not a good schedule. They opened where they went over Troy, which may be the best non-conference win they have, 28-10. Central Arkansas the next week, 59-3. Then they go to Atlanta and play Georgia Tech before Jeff Collins was fired, and this was just not competitive at all. 42-0, and it felt, it felt like it could have been 100. Like Georgia Tech seemed absolutely clueless on how to stop this Ole Miss offense. And then Tulsa, and again, this is a game that Ole Miss got up big and kind of slept, kind of slept walked their way through the second half. 
but they won. So you win the first four, and they're all non-conference games, which is kind of an interesting format when you think of scheduling, that you, know, you put it all up front so you don't give yourself a break along the way. So you didn't have that non-conference game later in the year where maybe you could rest some starters and kind of get their legs back under them. And then you look at the, the way that the, the conference slate opens for them. Kentucky, and we all knew this, like the first seven games of the year, probably the only game that you looked at even saw as a toss-up was Kentucky, and it very much was. And Kentucky should have won the game. They should have, but they didn't. Ole Miss made the plays to win that game late. Will Levis makes the big pass, gets them down the field, and you think they're, at the very least they'll get a game-time field goal. This game goes to overtime, but they had room to play. Next thing you know, Levis drops back the pass, doesn't feel the front side pressure, the ball gets knocked loose, Ole Miss recovers, ball game over. And people say, well, Kentucky gave the game away. Well, that's football. You know, how many games have we given away? How many games have people given us? I mean, that's just part of it. When you don't execute, you lose. Simple as that. you got to make plays. And this wasn't a situation where Will Levis just, you know, fumbled a snap. You had an Ole Miss defensive, uh, defensive lineman that did his job and forced a fumble. And ultimately, they won. So you give them credit. Whether you like them or not, you give them credit. When the game was on the line, the Ole Miss defensive line stepped up and made the play to win a game. The next week, they go to Vanderbilt. I'd love for Ole Miss to play that Vanderbilt, this Vanderbilt team now. I think it'd be a little more entertaining. But, uh, you know, Vanderbilt hung in there for a bit, and then Ole Miss put them away. You remember Vanderbilt at the half had the lead, and then there was just a ridiculously bad third quarter. And, again, give Ole Miss some credit for making adjustments because they had not been a great second-half team, but they were in this game. And there's the Auburn game. And I go back to this one. The play that, that stands out to me in this one, They're, everybody's trading scores here. Harson's coaching for his job. And Lane Kiffin dials up an onside kick. And then when Ole Miss went down and scored, it was just a matter of what the final score was going to be. They were finally able to get a little separation. It was a very gutsy call. If he attempts that extra that onside kick and Auburn recovers and you give them plus field position there and they go down and score, you know, people are probably asking some questions. You know, but at this point, it didn't look like Auburn that Ole Miss could stop Auburn. So you have to take a chance. They do, they execute it again. Those are winning plays. That's good coaching. Not just knowing when to call it, but to have prepared your players for that moment. I give Lane Kiffin credit for that. And a big win. And then they go to LSU. And a lot of people were kind of sweating this one out. I was not. And I'll tell you why. Number one, it's in Death Valley, even though it's a day game. But also, two, LSU can run the football. And we, and we, we talked about how fortunate we were to get them early. And this is not a great LSU team, but it is a really good LSU team. They've got dudes. Ojalari will be probably a first or second rounder here pretty soon. But they got some dudes that can play. And Brian Kelly is really kind of a ground-and-pound type coach. I think he fits what they want to do at LSU. Ole Miss got out out front, and then LSU basically just stuck with the ground game. Jaden Daniels crushed them. Seemed like everybody at LSU was getting four and five yards of carry in that second half, and they and it's an embarrassing game. It's 45-20, and that's the thing when you look at these games. The second half has not been good for Ole Miss. One game they did play well in the second half was A&M. A&M, of course, gets out to the early lead. You got a freshman quarterback out there. The moment proved to be too much for them. Give Ole Miss credit for battling back to win that game 31-28, and that, and that would obviously have been a terrible loss considering that A&M is the worst team in the Southeastern Conference. Even though it's on the road, it's tough to play at Kyle Field. This is an A&M team that is playing beneath its means, playing beneath its talent level, and I don't think they believe in their coach. But give Ole Miss credit. I really thought A&M would gun get them. I really did. 
I thought they would get them because of their ability to run the football. They made it close, just couldn't finish the deal. And then, of course, Alabama. And it's not a great Alabama team. It's a really good one, not a great one. But they go into Oxford and win 30-24, a late defensive stand there. I know some Ole Miss people wanted pass interference, and I would encourage you to buy that book, Football for Dummies, and read that before commenting again on that. There was no way that was a penalty. But 30-24, to and that eliminates Ole Miss from the SEC West race. And I would love to still be in the race in November, right? So I'm not in any way talking trash about Ole Miss here. But the facts are the facts. They were no longer in, in the mix for a potential SEC West title. And then they lose to Arkansas, which I think really removes them from the possibility of making a New Year's Six Bowl. What are they, 20th now in the, in the FBS rankings? But, um, you know, that game was 42-6. to six, And, of course, Ole Miss had some yards in the first half, just couldn't finish drives. They put some things together in the fourth quarter to make this thing look a bit better cosmetically. But that was a tail whipping last weekend. We expected it. I thought Arkansas would win. I didn't think they would dominate the way they did. But I did think they would win the game. And I thought that for a while because football is about matchups. And then going to, going to Fayetteville in November is, like, miserable. Like, if you didn't live there, why would you go there? It's a miserable place to go watch a football game in November because it's always so cold and, like, misty. And even when it's not misting, it feels like there's moisture in the air. The air is thick. They call the hogs up there. I mean, it's, just, it's not a great experience as a visiting fan or visiting team. It's just not. And they're, they're acclimated to it. So, in November, Arkansas should be a good team because they're practicing and all that stuff every day. But it was a big win. And so, now here we are. Battle for the Golden Egg. And uh, the line. Bulldog fans, rodeo season is here. That's right. The Dixie National Rodeo. Get ready to roll, man. And uh, I remember being a kid, that was like the biggest highlight for us. My grandmother would get us tickets every year. And me and my brother would wear our cowboy outfits. We'd put our boots on, have our chaps, our vest. And we'd go up there. And just in case one of the cowboys got a little bit scared to get on a horse or a bull, we were willing to do it. Yeah, for sure. Guys, boots aren't just for going out to a country western bar and doing a little boot scoot. Maybe you got a little Texas two-step in your game. Tecovas can make you look better than ever. Absolutely. And here's the deal, too. That's the thing. The versatility of Tecovas is you can wear them somewhere nice or you can live life where you don't go gently. That's what Tecovas does for you. Yeah, it's a rugged, handsome boot. It's my favorite boot brand, and it should be yours, too. Be sure and check them out. Tecovis believes in Western for all people, and you can feel that when you go into their stores, when you walk in, you'll be greeted like family, offered a boot shine and a drink, and maybe even an adult beverage if you prefer, and you can get custom fitted for a new pair of Tecovis boots. You can get custom leather stamping or branding, whatever you need to make it feel somewhat individual. Look up your closest store at tecovis.com. But if you can't make it to a store, Tecovis delivers the most premium quality and most comfortable Western goods right to your door. Visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. And you know what, partner? Point your toes west. Today's podcast is brought to you by Nerd Wallet's Smart Money Podcast. What's the best way to help you and your finances thrive? The answer can be overwhelming with all the financial misinformation out there. 
Fortunately, you can turn to NerdWallet's objective finance journalists to set things straight and help you make smart decisions with your own money. The nerds have helped me get smarter about things like planning for my tax bill so I don't dread April every single year. Managing finances with a partner without causing a breakup. Putting away more money for retirement since I'm not going to do this podcast forever. Sorry, folks. And also boosting my credit score since good credit is like a real-life cheat code. Saving for an emergency fund because life is like a good movie. It loves a good plot twist. The nerds also explain the real impact that the latest financial headlines could have on your life. Weekly financial check-ins with smart money help you spend more time doing what matters and less time worrying about what doesn't. Let NerdWallet's trusted experts untangle today's web of financial misinformation. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast on your favorite podcast app. Future you will thank you. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. It has come down. Some people had it at 5. I think now it's at 2. It has come down a good bit. And uh, the weather for the game does not look good. And all these people are like, well, you know, what, what does the, who does the weather favor? Uh, the truth of the matter is, considering the turf up there, like if this was the old, you know, grass fields and that sort of stuff, you'd be a little more concerned about it. As long as the turf is playable at a high level, I don't think there's an issue here. There may be a little slippage out there, but it's not like years ago where you played, you know, played in the mud. But uh, looking at tomorrow, it's uh, – a low of 46, a high of 64, but it is supposed to rain much of the day. 90% chance of rain uh, beginning in the afternoon hours, and that actually picks up a little bit in the evening. So looks like a wet night in Oxford. Bulldogs are going to have to bring a good effort and bring their rain gear. I would suggest to you that maybe it's a good game for Caleb Ducking. Not just because of the matchup. You know the pun before I say it, because water rose off a duck's back, Right. So hopefully we can go out there and have a good ball game. Let's take a look inside the numbers here a little bit, kind of you know, kind of familiarize yourself. I, I have watched a couple of Ole Miss games this year, watched the Arkansas game. I guess I watched a little bit of the Tulsa game. You know, we're on the road and sometimes we're playing at the same time as them. And uh, I will tell you, I am very impressed with Jackson Dart. His ball handling, and I mentioned that uh, earlier this week, this is a guy that understands how to carry out his fakes. He knows when to pull the football. You don't, you don't see a lot of that, you know, problems at the mesh. This is a kid that, that gets it. And I can see why he was so highly, you know, recruited out of USC. But, you know, I'm very impressed with how polished he is because you want to put linebackers in conflict when you've got a quarterback like him that is a plus runner but also, too, is so good with the football in his hands. You put those linebackers in conflict, next thing you know, you slip a, you know, you slip a receiver behind them. You get you know, a nice open throwing window there. But I've been really impressed with him. And I think that's really the key. I think you've got to confuse him a little bit and not let him just sit back there and distribute the football. All right, Ole Miss scoring just over 35 points a game and giving up just over 24. It's a nice differential there, right at 11 points. They've scored 388, yard, 388 points this year. 
A lot of that in a non-conference, but it's not like they haven't scored against some SEC defenses. First downs, pretty balanced here, but 156 on the ground, 100 through the air, 23 coming by the way of penalty. As a team, they've rushed for 3,061 yards once you back all the negatives out of it, but uh, there's not been a lot of negative runs. They're getting a forward lean. They're falling forward, getting things done, but they're averaging 5.8 yards a rushing attempt. I mean, why would you ever throw it, right? I mean, if you can just dominate the game and control time and possession. They have allowed 1,845 yards. Now, you read other people and say, oh, the rush defense is terrible. Yeah, they had a really bad game against LSU and an even worse game against Arkansas, but this has not been a team that has just necessarily just given you the run. Like a lot of people, oh, we got to go run, we got to go run. Listen, that's more about scheme than it is talent, right? Arkansas and Sam Pittman wants to be a run-first team. They want to exert their will. They're going to put sometimes two tight ends out there Put, put an unbalanced line out there and kind of run behind it. You know, that's not who we are, what we do, and, and we don't have tight ends, right? So we're not going to be able to get downhill on them regularly. What we do have to do is run just enough to keep them in conflict and keep those um, defensive ends just pinning their ears back and, and just thinking pass rush the whole time. Okay, passing, we talked about Jackson Dart here, but uh, you know, 183 completions on 307 attempts, nine interceptions. Nine. It was a really bad one last week right before the half to Arkansas. He never looked off the backer there. Opponents have thrown just six picks against him. But they're averaging 227 yards passing a game, right at 2,500 on the year. Opponents about the same. But they're averaging 216 against him. I suspect that we will throw for more than 216 yards. And if we don't, it's going to be a long night in Oxford. All right, we told law offense, 5,560 yards of offense for Ole Miss this year. And, again, it's, it's so different, and you tip your cap to Lane Kiffin. It's a much different scheme than Jeff Levy ran. He's definitely tailored his offense around the available talent. And so give him credit. I thought they would take a step back this year offensively. They absolutely haven't. And, again, that's a tribute to the coaching staff up there. All right, kick returns. They're averaging 19.4 kicks – excuse me, 19.4 – yards per return but allowing 21 so maybe that's a difference right there maybe maybe Tulu can make a play here punting average this is their return excuse me uh yeah punt return average for them is eight they're allowing 4.63 look at the kicking game here average punt 41.59 opponents 41.30 we listen we got to get a good game from our punters I don't know what Eric Mealy's got to do I don't know what he's got to say. We cannot have a shanked punt that gives them field position. We have got to go out there and have our best game of punting of the year. we got to make them march the length of the field. You can't give a ball control offense like this the short field because there's some explosive players on here. But you guys have seen them. You know, Judkins, Zach Evans, those guys are going to get four or five yards of carry. But, you know, you got to put yourself in a situation where you can get some wins. You can't give them the short field and allow them to go down the field in just a short number of plays. You just can't, simply can't do that. Ole Miss 12 of 14, a field goal is opponents 12 of 15. They've had the one onside kick. They've attempted three. They got the one against Auburn. Penalties are a little bit of a concern, I guess. 65.45 yards uh, per game. You know, that's not – Terrible, but it ain't great. Time of possession, you would think a team like Ole Miss, the way they run it, that they would dominate time of possession. But as much tempo as they run, that's not really been the case. And I think there are some teams out there, too, that they do play against Ole Miss. They want to slow the game down and shorten the game. You know, Kentucky tried to do that. Obviously, Arkansas 
uh, and OSU. They just run the football. But um, just 26 minutes per game of possession. Third downs have been good for Ole Miss, just over 50% there, 79 to 157. And fourth downs, you know, they've gone for it 24 times. Opponents have gone 29 times. Both of them have made it a dozen times. So, And I'm confident that Ole Miss is going to go for it at least once, especially at home on fourth down. Sacks this year, 29 for 199. And it's interesting to see how it all works out there. I mean, it really is. PATs, Ole Miss, 48-48. And in the red zone, this is an issue a little bit sometimes, too. They've had to settle for field goals. In the games they've lost, you've seen drives have kind of stalled out and they've had to settle for field goals. And had they put touchdowns on the board, it would be a little different deal. You think about last week, a game's probably a little more competitive. Red zone attempts, again, 44-55, and 37 of those touchdowns. So 18 times that Ole Miss has been in the red zone, they have come away empty. Excuse me, 11 times. But you kept them out of the end zone. Maybe I can get it straight here in a minute. All right, let's look at some individual numbers here. So we'll start with the rushing game. Uh, Kenshawn Judkins is, without a doubt, in my estimation, the number one freshman running back in the SEC, if not the country. This kid is amazing. And how anybody let him get out of the state of Alabama is one of life's great mysteries. How, like, you want to know why Brian Harson got fired? It's stuff like this. How do you let Quinshawn Judkins go to Ole Miss when he's in your state? It makes no sense whatsoever. And that was one of the things Jason Caldwell, my buddy at Auburn, had told me time and time again is, you know, recruiting is a concern, man. We're not really kind of getting on these kids in Alabama like we ordinarily have. But Judkins is outstanding. I mean, guys, we're, we're 11 games into the season, and he's averaging six yards a carry. And then Zach Evans is averaging 6.9 yards a carry. So, again, why would you ever throw the football, right? Well, maybe just to keep everybody a little bit honest or whatever. But the reality of it is these guys are very, very good. And Zach Evans, you know, missed some time, had a concussion, been a little bit banged up. Not exactly sure where he is on the percentage meter of health, but uh, he will absolutely play. And then there's Jackson Dart. you got to count for him in a running game. Got 552 yards. He hadn't run a touchdown in yet. He maybe will, but when he's getting 50 yards a game is your third rushing option, you got a good ground game. Dayton Wade's a guy, too, they've used a little bit at times. You know, they, they move him around a little bit, and they'll, they'll run the jet sweep to him, things like that. Uh, it's a nice little wrinkle, but it's not something that they, they ride with all the time. I, I really thought this Ulysses Bentley kid was going to be a bigger contributor for them, and I think because of the emergence of Judkins, he's taken carries away from Bentley. But it's an impressive group, and it is an impressive running game. Look at the passing numbers here, Jackson Dart. Uh, a quarterback rating of 143.57. 171 completions, 283 attempts, eight picks, 16 touchdowns. So two to one there. I'm sure almost people would like that to be better. But considering the way this kid has played, you know, I don't know that you can complain too much. Luke Altmaier has not played in some time. Uh, we don't expect to see him. Uh, and listen, really wish Luke the best. Remember Kin- Kincaid Dent? A lot of people thought early on he would challenge for the job. Never really thought that was going to be the case. But, uh, again, they signed Dart to play Dart, and Dart has played well. Receiving numbers, John Domingo is really finally healthy. We talked about that in the preseason. John Domingo had not done an awful lot, but it was because of the fact that John Domingo has been hurt, it seems like, every year he's been at Oxford until this one. He leads a team with 768 receiving yards and five touchdowns, 41 grabs to go along with that. He's averaging just under 70 yards a game. And former Bulldog Malik Heath, 
leads a team in catches with 47. 754 yards, averaging 16 yards a catch, four touchdowns, a long of 53. It will be interesting to see if Malik Heath can control his emotions in this ballgame. I can tell you there were some epic battles between Malik Heath and some of the Bulldog defensive backs in practice that were not always good-natured. You know, he's an overly competitive guy. I'm not trying to sit here and say it's, it's all about him or that he's a bad kid. I like Malik Keith. I really do. And I wish that we'd have found a way to make things work where he could stay here. And, uh, you know, if he had gone somewhere else, I'd be even happier for him. But uh, Malik Keith, guy's got a lot of ability. We've covered him a long time. Outside of that, it really drops off. I mean, you're playing basically a two-receiver set here. Jordan Watkins has made some plays for him, too. 28 grabs for him, just 363 yards. But – It hasn't been the same. Michael Trigg, of course, a big weapon for them, lost for the season. And that was, you know, he came with Jackson Dart, so you expected him to do some good things. Outside of that, that's it. There is not a lot of depth in this wide receiver room, and if there is, they're certainly not utilizing it. You would think if they had some playmakers out there, they would. But this new system they're running just doesn't lend itself to four and five wide receiver sets. So the Bulldogs are going to have to play well in the box. Probably going to have to bring some run blitzes, and that's one of the things that worries me about Jackson Dart is if you bring the run blitz on the zone read and he pulls it and gets outside, you're going to lose contain. Our Bulldog defensive ends are going to have to play the best game of the year. And, again, I think last week playing you know, against East Tennessee State, at least seeing some of that, seeing some of the formations and kind of how the, the ball movement goes could be beneficial for us this week because it's not just seeing it on film. You see it in person. All right, number eight, Troy Brown, who had his helmet stolen at Arkansas last weekend. I saw that. That – and, guys, listen, I know people laugh about that kind of stuff. That, that can't happen. That, 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 that kind of stuff just can't happen. They, they got it back. I know Arkansas security did. But, you know, why, why put some young man through that? I don't care what team he plays for. I mean, you're not going to be able to get out the stadium with it. And why would you want it anyway? You root for the other team. What are you going to do, sell it on eBay, and then they'll come get you anyway? It's just stupid. It's a fruitless pursuit. My hope is the guy was just drunk, and this will be a changing moment in his life. But 77 tackles for Troy Brown and then Otis Reese – I mean, that was a big get for them a couple years ago. Finally got him done, and and, uh, big year for him. 70 tackles for him. He has certainly lived up to his billing. A.J. Finley, arguably having his best year as Rebel, 67 tackles. Tashim Johnson was 63. Ashim Young, 54. Ashante Sistrunk, and I'm really proud for this young man, too. He's from Louisville High School. To see him succeed the way that he has, even though that it is at Ole Miss, I think it's very rewarding. It's a guy that's from a, you know, from a good family, from a great program just down the road here that uh, State did not recruit, but he's made the most of his second chance by working his way through the Mississippi Junior College system. So congratulations to him. Uh, Ladarius Tennyson, 44 tackles for him. Austin Keys with 37. Deontay Prince is a guy that left and came back, and you know, the, you know he couldn't transfer anywhere else unless he went back to Ole Miss without graduating from junior college. He goes back to Ole Miss, making the most of his opportunities. Very talented guy. Not the biggest guy, but a guy that's very explosive around the football. But uh, you run through the list here, and, and there are a lot of familiar names. There's some of these guys that Mississippi State recruited, some they didn't. And a lot of that's changed a lot because of the Ole Miss commitment to the, the transfer portal. Tackles for loss, Ladarius Tennyson is a guy that leads a team with nine. That's a guy that uh, maybe you're not quite as familiar with. But uh, where's number 13? Really good player for them. I don't think there's any question about that. That's been a great addition to Ole Miss. You know, he is a safety out of Rockledge, Florida. He's done a really good job for him. Uh, sacks for them, 
and it has not been, you know, a pass rushing team. I guess you look at and say that they have been maybe dominant in every game, but they will they will get after you. Twenty nine sacks as a team, and uh, Tavius Robinson and Cedric Johnson lead the team with four apiece. But there are a handful of guys in there. It's like one time, you know, you look up and say, okay, well, like. Seven or eight guys have one sack. Now, they've got several guys with multiple sacks here, including former Auburn H-back J.J. Pegues. Moved him to the defensive line. He's playing well. You know, uh, quarterback hurries, again, they're getting in your face. And, again, I don't, know, I, don't, I don't go count the hurries myself. But, you know, a handful of guys here. You know, Tavius Robinson, get in there. That, that defensive line is much improved this year. And so this is a defensive group that we're going to have to be careful with. We're going to have to make sure that we can keep Will Rogers upright. We have to make sure that we keep him honest, be able to run it off the edges every now and again, at least give him something else to think about. Because if you get out there and you throw it 24 times in a row, they're not going to respect the run. They're just going to put you know, throw caution to the wind, pin their ears back, and come after you. So we've got to be smart in how we handle things. But that's the Ole Miss football team. That's the series. That's the statistics. And, again, this is a good team. You know, we talk about the schedule, and, yes, they racked up some statistics against some, some poor teams early. Uh, but this is a good Ole Miss team. This is not a team that's just a product of the schedule. I think it's important to understand that. Mississippi State will have to bring best effort to win the game. All right, time for today's top ten list. Brought to you, as always, by CloseWithBlair.com. at C-L-O-S-E with Blair, B-L-A-I-R, Close with Blair. Blair is my friend, he's your friend, a friend in the mortgage industry. A lot of people out there competing for your business. Blair is a guy that deserves it. 21 years of experience. And here's the thing, too. Blair just sent me this yesterday. I want to give you some, some new talking points if we can. I get so many texts. Difficult to find those sometimes. But um, let's focus on first mortgages only, not the HELOCs or second mortgages. Right now, rates have increased a little bit. But we think that there's going to be some changes in that. So we want to kind of really focus on maybe people that are looking to buy a home for the first time. That's exactly you. Many of you have thought, you know what, hey, Steve, the dream of home ownership has eluded me. It's important to kind of understand that. There are a lot of things now with rates kind of what they are. You need somebody that can put you in a mortgage that has some flexibility. Blair is a professional. This is a guy you're going to have a relationship with. And maybe you get into a 327 arm right now and then rates drop and you refinance and put get into a 30 or 20 or fix. But it's good to have somebody that's going to be there with you down the road. It's not a one-time type deal, right? I mean, it's, it's just not. I mean, it, many of us change residences and we change jobs and our situations change. And it's good to have somebody, especially in these days when there's low inventory out there in the housing market, that can help you navigate through that. So I'm going to give you Blair's phone number and mention to him that you heard about him on the boneyard that he's going to pay for your appraisal. That's 601-500-2344. Again, 601-500-2344. And make Blair Chandler your friend in the mortgage industry. He'll go to underwriting and fight for you. I promise you that. Again, close at Blair.com. All right, it's Thanksgiving Eve. Last year we did a Thanksgiving show where I, I basically – did a Thanksgiving feast, came up with all these great Thanksgiving songs. That was a challenge. This year, it's different. You guys have noticed this week, in the last couple weeks, I've just talked a little bit more about priorities and things like that. And so one of the things they teach us to do in recovery is put together a gratitude list. 
you know, when things are maybe not the way you'd want them to be, you sit down and think about all the things you're grateful for. So here is my gratitude list. This is pretty much in order, depending on what day you ask me. But it's a song that is indicative of 10 things that I am grateful for Thanksgiving Eve 2022. Number 10, I am thankful to be alive. If life was fair, I would not be alive. Of course, I'm an addict. I lived a very reckless lifestyle for a while. I ran in rough crowds. I made a lot of bad decisions. There are a lot of things I'm not proud of. There are some stories that uh, people remind me of. I wish they wouldn't repeat. They're not reflective of my character these days. And so I am grateful to be alive and have an opportunity to make amends. So I went with Pop Evil, one of my favorite bands, the great song, 155. 155. Number 10 on the list. Number nine, I am grateful to be an American. You know, when God sent me out of the Gulf of Souls into humanity, he could have sent me anywhere. But he sent me to the United States of America. I'm very much a patriot. I don't really care who's in the White House. My love for this country is unwavering. So I went with a song that's reflective of that. It's Toby Keith's Courtesy of the Red, White, and Blue. I love the fact that we are the um, in-your-face America. Number eight, I am grateful to be a Mississippian. I love growing up in Mississippi. I think you learn to deal with everybody. I think the fact that my kids have had an opportunity to live here, they fully appreciate the value system in the state of Mississippi. We got a lot of progress in, the, in my lifetime. We still got a long way to go in the state of Mississippi. But I've learned this, that there is not a better group of people around than Mississippians. Regardless of your rooting interest, there is a quiet dignity among Mississippians that I am very, very glad to see. In times of crisis, we come together. In times of crisis, we look out for each other. We, we are the descendants of people that used to trade crops. You know, it's like I, my grandfather, you know, was a very, 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 very successful dairy farmer uh, down in Jones County, Mississippi. And you took care of your neighbors. And then as, as his friends died, he would still help their children. He'd make sure they had plenty to eat. And that's what Mississippi is based on, is helping each other. So I'm grateful to be from Mississippi. So number eight on our list is ZZ Top's track, My Head's in Mississippi. Number seven, I'm grateful to have been born to a Christian mother. I remember being a kid. You know, you wake up and, and you hear mom in there praying. She's by herself and hearing her calling my name out in prayer every single morning. Not every once in a while, every morning. The son of a, the daughter of a minister, she was a twin. Or she is a twin. Her twin has passed away. But I remember being a kid, and it means more to me today because I know even now my mama is getting up every morning and praying for me and my family and my brother and my stepfather and everybody in my extended family. And it, my mom is one of the best Christian people that I know. And so I'm very grateful to have been born to her. The song for her is Merle Haggard's Mama's Prayers. Number seven, Merle Haggard's Mama's Prayers. Number six on the list, Freddie Robertson was my dad. I didn't know what a big deal that was growing up. I just knew that he was my dad. He was daddy. And the more that I aged and matured and got to know more about life, I began to appreciate how important my dad was and the life that he led and the things that he did so that I could have a better life. He wanted me 
to have more opportunities in life. And I hope that I've made the most of those. I think that I've made him proud. I hope so. I, a lot of his friends have told me I, I would have that your dad would be so proud of you. But my dad, Freddie Robertson, was the guy that people knew not to mess with too because my dad was always going to be right. My dad was going to be well-researched. And my dad was going to just shoot holes in any arguments you might have because he was going to have a more passionate argument rooted in fact rather than opinion. My dad went to work for Farmer's Home Administration when he left Mississippi State, worked for 33 years to, to advance the quality of life of farmers in this great state of ours. And I remember being there at his retirement ceremony when uh, the NAACP gave my dad this certificate on behalf of the African-American farmers in this state, how my dad had fought for equality for them. And I asked him, I was like, Daddy, how come you never told me? He goes, son, you should never brag about doing the right thing. It makes me so incredibly proud. And so I'm glad to be his son. So in honor of my father, number six, it's Blackstone Cherry's song, Things My Father Said, number six. Number five, I got a lot of friends. I got a lot of family. I got a lot of cousins. It turns out, as I've achieved some notoriety in life, I've, I've got cousins I never knew I had, right? People just come out of nowhere. Uh, but the reality of it is, is I would not be here today without the love and support of my friends, my family. And there are a lot of people that are friends of mine that are like family to me. They're family you choose, right? I got some people that I talk to all the time, and especially as of late. I, I mean, I've had a difficult time, I really have. And uh, being, you find out who your friends are when you have tough times. There are a lot of people, too, they just want to be nosy and know what's going on in your life so they can go tell other people, you know, oh, I talked to Steve, and there's this and there's that, you know. But there are other people that genuinely care about you and your family and what's going on in your life, and I'm very grateful for those. And I don't always stay in touch as best I could, and it seems like, you know, in times of crisis is when you need your friends the most. And there are some people that I've spoken to here in recent weeks that uh, I hadn't talked to in a long time, and that's an indictment on me and sometimes my busy schedule. But this song also reminds me of my great friend Scott Sorensen that passed away a couple years ago. Scott was an accomplished artist that kind of was the Prince of Fondren. And uh, when I first heard this song, I thought of Scotty. And uh, this song gets to me. It, maybe it won't mean anything to you, but it means an awful lot to me. Number five is Asking Alexandria is miles away. Miles away from Asking Alexandria. Number four, my children. I've been so incredibly blessed Dana and I were pregnant six times that we know of. We opened up with a miscarriage May 7th, 1994, the, the saddest day of my life. And I, I, you know, at least in the top two saddest days of my life. And uh, what was so difficult about that is because I'm going to work every day. I'm clean. I'm sober. I'm doing what I'm supposed to do. I'm going to meetings all the time. And then it, we still had the miscarriage. And uh, I thought maybe I was being punished. And that because of the life that I had led, that the woman that I loved was being punished because she chose to marry me. And so that may sound a little bit narcissistic, but, you know, I'm a firm believer in karma. And I thought, you know what, this absolutely stinks. But what I learned through all of that is that, uh, you know, bad things happen to good people. Life still happens, and you're, you're living life on life's terms. But I've been so incredibly blessed. We, uh, we, we had Ani in 95, and then we lost another little girl. And uh, I remember thinking then... You know, God, if this is all you ever afford me, is this one child, then I'm going to be grateful. There are so many people out there that would love to have one child that have no children. And so I'm not going to be ungrateful. I'm not going to turn away from you. I'm just going to continue to trust that uh, the path is the path, and you know what's best for me. And so I have always been this person, too, 
that I wanted my kids to get the best of me rather than my negative qualities. And I think every parent feels exactly the same way. And I used to always joke about how much I loved their mother, that I loved her so much I wanted their first words to be mama because that mattered to me. It absolutely mattered to me. It matters to me today. But I've got four great kids. You know, Audrey, of course, is a computer engineer, now a Mississippi State alum. Mia will soon be a Mississippi State alum, and she's won seven NAFL championships of speech and debate. And then my youngest, Ian, will be attending Mississippi State next year. So we're going to keep Mississippi State in business as best we can. But I'm so grateful for every one of them. And I'm so grateful that they don't have many of my negative qualities. So we're going to go with Creed at number four. Creed's with arms wide open. Arms wide open, your number four song. Number three, and there are times in my life it's just been number one, you know, and maybe that was wrong, you know, but um, number three is my beautiful and lovely and wonderful wife, Dana. I wouldn't trade her for anybody in the world. And it's like you go through life sometimes and you get to the point where you almost feel like your roommates and you're just kind of like have a business relationship and you're just kind of paying bills and raising kids. And then one day you wake up and you realize, you know, I'm kind of missing what life's really about. And I've had one of those epiphanies here recently. You know, I've had somebody recently that said, you know, you don't talk about it on the show anymore. And, you know, I thought that's an indictment on me. And I, t- I told her the other day, I said, we have not posted a picture together on social media in over a year. And I should be celebrating my wife, not diminishing her, because everything that I have today kind of stems from that relationship because she believed in me. Because I'm going to be honest with you. I don't mean this negatively or disrespectfully to anybody else. Because I know many people are doing the best they can with what they have, and all they have is all they have. But left up to me, I'd be living in a single-wide trailer in a trailer park, working offshore, paying some girl I hate child support. That's the truth. But this woman made me want a better life. She made me stop settling for in life, that I should be able to achieve something in life. And so I love her. She, I don't know if she ever listens to the show. Uh, but I do. I love her with all that I have. And uh, I haven't always kept her as a top priority because I've been so busy building a brand and building a bank account. Sometimes I forget what really matters most in life, and it's her. And so if you see a lot more and hear a lot more about her, it's because I'm doing the things that I need to do. And so I would encourage you to, if you're a person that is married or in love or whatever, always, always, always put your significant other first. Always. I have never, ever, ever in my lifetime ever regretted putting my wife first. All right, number two, it's my recovery. I wouldn't have met her if I hadn't been clean and sober. And what's interesting about that, too, is I think in the beginning, Dana was a lot more committed to being clean and sober than I was. And I don't even think she's an alcoholic. I think she was just kind of self-medicating during that time in her life. And But the reality of it is, is that um, I made a decision to get clean and sober, and all of a sudden I quit getting in trouble and I didn't have, I no longer had a police problem, and I had this beautiful hot blonde that I knew that if I wanted to be with her, I was going to have to fly straight. And then along the way, instead of just doing it for her, I started doing it for me. I began to develop some self-worth and begin to develop, you know, some gratitude for the opportunity that I had to just kind of breathe air in and out every day through my lungs. And so I share that with you, and I am an advocate for those that still suffer and those who love them. I had somebody send me this wonderful message yesterday, and I'm going to read it to you if I can not get emotional. Uh, it's, uh, it's difficult sometimes because I, I feel like that there are so many people that um, suffer, suffer 
because there are so many people that think that this uh, this addiction thing is just a joke. I think it's an issue of morality. But I got this from a uh, from Doug Harden from Hernando, Mississippi. Steve, please no need to respond. Just want you to know that I, with others, will be praying for your safety and for you and Dana to have such quality time together. My first time to pray for your family was praying for Dana's mom. I still see that note on my list. God has raised you up to be a voice for those who have, have trouble speaking for themselves after being beaten down by society. I have a master's from seminary, but I know for sure theology ain't where, it is at, where, where it's at between us and God. He reads our, our hearts like no one else and often uses the most unsuspecting persons to do his best work. As a pastor, the church's children gather around my feet every Sunday and I always close with these words. God loves you. God has a purpose for your life. God doesn't make no junk. You are a somebody. Those words surely apply to you. God bless and keep you and those you love. That's wonderful. And uh, that didn't cost him a dime, but it meant an awful lot to me. And so... I try to be an advocate for those who suffer because when I first got sober, there wasn't a lot of people uh, like me that, uh, you know, were really out there just kind of saying, hey, listen, it's okay. It's okay to be in recovery. It's okay to have issues. It's okay to relapse as long as we don't live in it, as long as we don't stay in it. And so our number two song, and, and I skipped number three. Let me back up a second. Your number three song dedicated to my wife is Tesla's What You Give. And we got to hear that live at the Ryman for Valentine's Day a couple years ago. Number two for us is Tools Sober. Sober. But number one, and you know where we're going with this, it's a relationship with God, man. You know, a lot of people call it a higher power, and I was a person in the beginning of recovery that I struggled with that, you know, because the, uh, the evangelical, you know, kind of God being that was kind of shoved down my throat as a kid, I just wasn't ready to accept that. You know, because people would tell me one thing and then live another way. And so I was like, well, I don't want to be that person. I don't want to be this hypocrite. Turns out we're all hypocrites. But the, the reality of it is, is you have to have a relationship with something bigger than yourself. And, you know, maybe that's not the evangelical God. That's up to between you and him. That's who I believe rules the universe. I don't want to get too religious or political on the show. But uh, I have a relationship with God. And uh, one of the things that is important, a song that has always spoke to me, and it's always comforted me at times of trouble, is need to breathe washed by the water. My grandparents raised me, and that's one of the things that I thought about, like the opening verse of that is just kind of like my life, you know, my life with my grandparents as a kid. And so, so that's important to me. So this is a very personal list. I hope that you enjoy it. These are the things that I'm grateful for. And maybe you should do your own list of the things that you're grateful for. And one of the things that I encourage people to do during the holidays, whether you do it Thanksgiving Day or you do it some other time, Reach out to somebody you hadn't talked to in a while and let them know how much you love them. Could be a friend from high school. Could be a situation where you have a negative relationship with a child or a parent. And reach out and let them know, hey, I'm, I'm thinking about you. You never know what it's going to do to them and what it may do to your future relationship. You know, we can't repair relationships without working on them. We can't accept the status quo and just think things are magic. We're going to get better. But that's it for today. If you have, for the top 10 list anyway. If you have ideas for the top 10 list, reach out and let me know. And uh, you can send them to Roy at Twitter at Dogmatic67 and find him on Spotify also at Dogmatic67. I'm grateful for Roy Samante and the things that he does to, uh, to help with the show. And uh, we'll get to the list. But uh, that was a very personal list to me. It's exactly how I feel. I don't even think for one second here that um, 
anybody would disagree with my priorities. I think everybody would agree. I would suspect that your list is probably the same. Maybe the order differs a little bit. Uh, but, uh, again, you got to take care of yourself spiritually, physically. you got to take care of relationships, especially with your significant other. And that's one thing, too, and, I, and again, maybe you'll disagree. One of the things that, um, that life has shown me is while your responsibility as a parent is paramount, you've got to take care of that relationship with your significant other. Absolutely. And, they, and your kids will benefit from that. They need to see a happy, healthy, uh, you know, family unit. Simple as that. All right, next segment of the show brought to you by Campus Bookmart. Campus Bookmart, a fantastic place to do business. It's Christmas time. I don't know if you realize this, but uh, you're just about four weeks away from Christmas. And many of you haven't even started your shopping. I'm almost done. Matter of fact, I went and picked up some gear from Campus Bookmart. How about that? Yeah, yeah, that's right. You can do the same. Make your Christmas shopping easy on yourself. Visit campusbookmart.net. And go by and peruse their great selection of Mississippi State merchandise when you're in town. Which may be a little more infrequent now that we're not playing football games. Maybe you're coming for basketball. Leave a little bit early and go by and see their smiling faces just on the backside of campus there at Campus Bookmart. But if you can't make it to town, take advantage of the uh, World Wide Web, courtesy of Al Gore's Internet, and get to campusbookmart.net. And by being a loyal Bondyard listener, we'll give you a phrase that pays, and that is BSR, which stands for Beautiful Steve Robertson. And that'll get you free shipping on all orders over 75 bucks. Any order less than 75 bucks, absolutely incomplete. You get hoodies, T-shirts, blankets, collectible items, anything you need to outfit your home, your wardrobe with Mississippi State Maroon merch. You can find it right there, campusbookmart.net. Go check it out today. Stop waiting. Go do it. Don't put it off. Write yourself a note right now. When I finish the boneyard, I'm going to campusbookmart.net, and I'm going to order the kids some Mississippi State merchandise. I'm going to order myself, my wife, my husband, whoever, some Mississippi State merch. You'll be glad you did. All right, let's talk a little bit about some of these rumors. You know, obviously a lot of rumors going around about Lane Kiffin. And um, if I had to call it today, I guess I am somewhat convinced that he will be the new head coach at Auburn. But I'm not as confident or certain as other people are. And, again, I haven't really chased a lot of this information. I've read a lot, and I've talked to a few people here and there. I've had some people on the Auburn beat that have reached out and asked, you know, about John, you know, kind of how John does things, that sort of stuff, and if there's a pattern or a method to the madness and things like that. And so I picked up brains a little bit just because, I mean, I'm curious, like everybody else, is this going to be Pine Box 2.0? I do find it interesting that he hadn't come out and denied anything. I mean, he could have easily put all this to bed. And there's, I've seen some reports about Dave Johnson, uh, our colleague that runs, uh, you know, Inside the Rebels here for 247 Sports. And Dave seems to be convinced that he's going too. And so I just share that because in the back of my mind, though, I still feel like there is a twist or turn left to go in this story. And I do believe that this is in some ways serving as a distraction if you're Ole Miss. And I thought they played like a distracted football team last week. And this has just kind of lingered on. And people are saying, well, that's just John Cohen. No, Lane Kiffin could put an end to every bit of this. But sometimes I wonder maybe if they're not just letting that smoke persist out there to cover for another candidate. You know, is it Hugh Freeze? Is that a possibility? I know that he's a candidate. I understand that he's interviewed. Is it time for Hugh to come back to the Southeastern Conference? Is that ever going to happen? I don't know. There was a time I was told there was never a chance it's ever going to happen. And then this time I was told that there's a possibility. So, you know, we'll see. But 
I had some people reach out yesterday, some Bulldog fans that even agree with me about Kiffin's comments about the, the leak and the, uh, the media room. You know, that he said some things that kind of gig you a little bit. Like, if this is the guy that's going to stay and we're just letting this thing play out, and we're just giving, you know, Lane Kiffin's agent time to kind of work through this and maybe get a bigger extension from Ole Miss, he could do that without taking these shots that are somewhat personal. I just don't I – don't, I don't like the heel turn, if that makes sense to you. You know, and, and again, you know, I'm, I'm a firm believer that bad news in Oxford is, equates to good news in Starkville. I just don't like the way all this has gone down. Now, the flip side of it is, is Mississippi State could certainly benefit from it. You got a distracted coach and a distracted team, and we show up there focused and ready to go. We got a chance to go win that ball game and possibly win it pretty considerably. But there are a lot of rumors out there. I just don't – I'm not completely bought in. Now, I've had some people tell me, Steve, it's just a matter of time. And I'm not talking about fans offering opinions. I'm talking about people that have some knowledge of the search that said it is simply a matter of time before Lane Kiffin is announced as the head coach at Auburn. I just don't know if I'm ready to get on board with that yet. I do think that that's probably where it's trending. But I'm, and maybe it's because maybe I want this to happen, you know, because I want to see Ole Miss go through a coaching change and perhaps that. It kind of upsets the apple cart up the road because my loyalty's to Mississippi State. But I just still feel like there is a twist to come in every bit of this. Now, you know what? We may get into Friday or Saturday, and it comes out that Lane Kiffin's going to Auburn. And, and I would say this has been one of the most boring coaching searches ever. They never go to script because what happens when a coaching vacancy is announced, all these agents are running to media people to get their, their candidates associated with the search – to get their name out there. It's good marketing. It's what you do. And so usually the first names you hear are wrong. But wouldn't it be weird if Lane Kiffin identified as a priority candidate immediately and then he ends up getting the job? It just doesn't happen very often. That just doesn't happen very often. So, again, you know, obviously I have some ties, you know, some people involved in this search. I have not abused those. I've not reached out. It's not my business. I mean, we'll talk about it here on the show because it matters within the rivalry and, of course, within in-state recruiting and within the Southeastern Conference. But I just don't think at this point that I'm ready to say, you know what, yeah, Lane Kiffin's definitely going to be the coach at Ole Miss because what if all of a sudden tomorrow morning Lane Kiffin gets up and says, hey, we're not going to do this. I'm going to be here. He's going to have a galvanized fan base. Some people are going to turn out and come to the game. His team will be fired up. I just don't think that he would put them through this as some type of ploy, though. I think there is some validity to all of this. And if you read some of the Ole Miss media reports, it is clear there has been direct contact between Auburn and Ole Miss and certainly with, uh, with uh, Lane's representation. So I don't know. Uh, I also think that uh, these rumors about Mike Leach are a bit silly. The first run I want to address is uh, talk of Mike Leach potentially being fired if we lose the Egg Bowl on Thursday. I, I can tell you unequivocally, there's nothing to that. Nothing. Nothing to that. I don't know. People are like, well, I've got a friend that's a big donor. Okay, I have friends that are big donors too, but I also have big friends that are difference makers and decision makers. And I speak to those people. And you'd say, but Steve, well, they wouldn't tell you this. Yeah, well, they told me about Andy Cannizzaro being fired before he was fired. They told me about Van Studeman being fired before she was fired. They told me about Joe Moorhead before he was fired. So these are the same people. And so these same people in the past that have given me a heads up or some advance notice that a change was coming in an athletics department capacity. So I talked to these people, and they go, no, this hasn't even been discussed. 
And so why would I not take their word for it when they've given me advance notice of things in the past? The only thing in recent weeks that uh, or recent years that we didn't get advance notice of was the Nikki McRae Pinson. I think because of the sensitive nature of that, because it was a medical issue, that they probably handled that the best. And I think we've all known for, for probably two years that Ben Howland was leaving. But, you know, when we had some advanced knowledge, we had our stories ready to go. We knew what to, to expect. And so at the same time, this, why would they withhold information now? You would think if there was change coming that they would want to get their version of the story out. Well, here's what really happened, right? And so there's nothing to it. And if there is, it would be the biggest shock of my career. But I can tell you, talking to people very close to the situation, let's just say intimately close to the situation, there has been no discussion about firing Mike Leach regardless of the outcome of the Egg Bowl on Thursday. And to be quite honest with you, I'm tired of talking about it. And I said on the message board today, I'm tired of addressing this. I'm just going to start deleting and locking these threads. I'm not going to every hour of every day address these stupid rumors just because somebody, like, I've already discussed it. I mean, how many times do I have to say it? Well, nothing's changed since 1030 this morning. It's not going to happen. Some have said, well, you know, maybe Mike will retire. He said, well, he's got some health problems. You know, at it, 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 his age, everybody's got some health problems. But I think some people have taken this bout with flu that he had, and there was talk that he had about a pneumonia too, probably should have taken some more time to himself, but he didn't, and all of a sudden you see him in the press conference. But, guys, you can go all the way back to the Dan Levitard show years ago and hear that same coughing fit. You can go back to when he was at Washington State and hear these coughs in the press conference. I would suggest it's probably got something to do with acid reflux and dipping and drinking all this coffee and things like that too. Now, Mike Leach could announce in the postgame press conference Thursday that he's retiring. He could. I'm not expecting it. And the people that I know that would need to know on the Mississippi State campus say the same, not expecting it. And you would think there would be some effort to kind of get things together. And, like, why, why in the world would we change coaches when we don't have an athletic director? Who would conduct a search? Why would we do that with a recruiting class we've got to put to bed here in about three and a half weeks? Right? It doesn't make any sense. And Mike Leach is a professional. Mike Leach is not the kind of person that is just going to go, okay, I'm done, and not give Dr. Keenum and Mississippi State a chance to prepare. He just wouldn't do that. Simply wouldn't do it. And there's some people, too, they get so invested in their narrative, they just find a way to spin it as best they can. Uh, I don't think Mike Leach is going to coach for a long time. He's done it for a long time. I don't know how many years he has left. Is, is, is next year the last year? Is it two years now? Is it three years? I, I don't think we see Mike finish out the contract. I don't know that for sure, but that's just, you know, my estimation here, my opinion. But I do believe Mike Leach is the coach next year at Mississippi State 2023, unless there is something that we're unaware of. You know, I don't know Mike's health situation, nor did I ask him about it. But I think it's important right now that, like, when you begin to, th to see this situation at Ole Miss, if they're going to have a coaching change, why would we want a coaching change too? Why would we want to deal with that when we have a chance to kind of put our foot on their throat a little bit? Not to mention we have an eight-home-game schedule next year and a real chance to get to ten wins, and you could dominate in-state recruiting because of the fact you've got to have a new coaching staff up there that doesn't have established relationships. Mississippi State making a coaching change right now in the same year that Ole Miss may be doing one would be one of the colossal failures of recent memory, period. I know some people are like, oh, I don't like Leach, and that's fine too. Do you like Mississippi State? Do you like winning? 
okay, let's get it for another year, okay? Let's get through this whole situation at Ole Miss and let them make a coaching change. Oh, well, that put us that much farther. Guys, if we're going to change coaches every two to three years, um, we might as well just, you know, reduce the prices for, for tickets. No point doing any more, uh, you know, fan amenities at Davis Wade Stadium. If, if we're going to do that, if we're just going to change coaches because of the, uh, you know, the, a Twitter poll, you know, I go back to that 96 game. We talked about that on the Ole Miss preview. Most of our fans wanted Jackie share fired at the end of 96. And had we fired him at the end of 96, we would not have had a winning season in 97. Chances are we would not have won the West in 98. Chances are we wouldn't have won 10 games in 99. Chances are we wouldn't have had a good year in 2000. You know, so we didn't fire Jackie. We stayed the course, and we put together four very solid and a couple really good seasons there, some historic seasons in Mississippi State. Sometimes you got to ride in the valley to get back up the mountain. And it's not like we're in the valley now. We are seven and four with a chance to go to a Florida bowl game. And with a win on Thursday, we could be in line to get the Citrus Bowl. We are not in a valley. It's kind of like these folks that, you know, you got a kid that's showing up every day and working hard and everything else, and ever suddenly he leaves his shoes on the floor, and we're like, oh, he's so lazy. Well, he's not lazy, he's tired. Going to school every day, then going to work on a job. So he can have a little money in his pocket, and he comes home, he forgets to put his shoes in his room. So let's just go beat him up. He's making good grades. Stays out of trouble. You know, you got to focus on what matters most, and it's not your ego as a fan. What's best for Mississippi State? That's what's best for Mississippi State. You got to stay the course at least another year. Simple as that. And it's, it's not just because of the fact that uh, I believe Mike Leach deserves it. I just think this wouldn't be the time to do it. And, of course, at some point, Mike Leach is going to retire. You know, maybe, maybe he tells Coach, uh, Dr. Keenum, so you know what, Coach, I'm going to come back for one more year, give you guys some advance notice, I'm going to retire at season's end, and give you guys an opportunity to uh, go ahead and prepare to go through this process, start reaching out and getting some feelers. And that's how I think Mike Leach would handle it. And to date, that hadn't happened. He said, but Steve, they may not tell you. You know what, I've got some guys on his staff that are calling me asking me, where is this coming from? You know, of course, their, their careers are hitched to Mike Leach, right? You're like, we haven't heard anything like this. What's going on? You know, they got families here. They got wives here. They got kids here. You think they'd know? You think they'd have to call me to ask if that was the case? They wouldn't be calling me. They'd already know. They could talk to the guy. So these rumors, let's table these and go win a football game, and we'll see where things stand come Friday. All right, let's finish up strong here. Thanks with our friends from Portico. Uh, Brooks Bryan is my friend. Again, he's your friend, a friend of Mississippi State. Wore the uniform, went to Omaha twice. So in many respects, he's royalty. When he walks out to Duty Noble Field, like the, the path just kind of clears, right? But should. I, I was a Brooks Bryan fan. I'm a Brooks Bryan friend now. He can be your friend too. Brooks part of a great group of developers here that are putting in this wonderful the residential development portico to Starkville. Phase one's completely sold out. Phase two had bad boys hopping too. The first part of phase two is coming upon completion. The, many of those houses are already sold, but you have an opportunity to buy one now. But also too, if you'd like to maybe look at constructing a home and c- consider thinking about picking out a lot and a house plan, they can help you. If you need a custom build, they can get that done for you. 
You can start with a two-bedroom, two-bath home, go all the way up to a four-bedroom, four-bath home. It's very easy to get to. Turn off 82 on 12, like going to campus. The very first ride is Pat Station Road to go through the four-way stop. Boomer's Portico. Your new neighbor is already enjoying the high life out there. Reach out to Brooks, 601-416-8075. Again, 601-416-8075. Make Portico your next move. Okay, listen, Mike Leach has got to win his football game, Okay. Forget all the rumors. The bottom line is, what is best for Mississippi State? What is signifying that we are going in the right direction? you got to win the game. You can't go 0-3 against the Rebels. You just simply can't. Now, I've got it on good authority that Dr. Mark Keenum has even had that discussion with Coach. It's like, hey, Coach, we got to go get this thing done. Nothing means more than having that trophy. It just does. It's just kind of how life works. And I understand that everything has been communicated to Mike Leach, the importance of this game. Not that Mike needed it, but it's been reiterated to him. And so we got to go win the game. And it's not just the significance of this season. I think when you look at how high Ole Miss was riding early on, a lot of people have said, you know what, you know, Ole Miss is just farther along, and, and how could you argue against it? You know, last year they were a better team than us. They had a better, better record. But this year you could end the year with identical records. You win this ball game, you're eight and four, you've got the egg, and you got a third-place finish in the SEC West. That's a sign we're getting better. Is it a sign that things are perfect? Absolutely not. Is it a sign that we didn't lose some games we shouldn't have? It absolutely is not. But you go beat Ole Miss. I go back to what Emory Ballard told me years ago when I interviewed him. When you win the Ag Bowl, everything is better. The grass is greener, the water is cleaner, and your girlfriend is prettier. you got to find a way to go win this game. And I think in order for us to do that, we're going to have to run the football some. I don't think you can, you know, wholesale go out there and do it. But we're probably going to need a non-offensive touchdown out there. And maybe that's Tulu Griffin. I think special teams are going to play a big part in this ball game, especially with it being wet. You know, you got to be able to get the snap back and get the kick away. You could see a block kick somewhere on one of these two teams. And I, when a game like this, the big mistake often defines the game. Rocky Felker and I discussed this years ago. Everybody is all fired up the first couple of drives, and then you kind of settle in and play a game. The sooner State can calm down and be methodical and kind of work through this thing, the better it's going to be for State's prospects of winning its football game. Now, I do think the weather in many ways will negate the home field advantage for Ole Miss. I know many of you are going to put on you know, your parkas and ponchos and you're going to go out there and celebrate and cheer on the Bulldogs. I commend you for that. But I think there are going to be a lot of people on the Ole Miss side because of the fact, number one, it's Thanksgiving. Number two, it's going to be cold and rainy. And number three, I think a lot of people are disenfranchised with their coaching situation. It's like, why would we go out and sit out here and this coach is going to leave us? You know, there'll be some people that are diehard rebels and say, you know what, I don't miss the games. I'm here for the kids. You know what, I commend those people too. But I think you're going to see a pretty thin crowd. And I think especially if State's able to get up early in this ball game, I think you're going to see it thin out because who wants to sit there in the rain and the cold and watch your team get beat? You just don't want that. But it's an ex- extremely important thing for us to go out there and win this ball game. Not just for the season, but for the trajectory of the program. Especially when you consider you go into next year and you've got your photo ops, you've got your junior day kids coming in, taking their picture with the Golden Egg Trophy, and then you have – the very favorable schedule next year. Ole Miss had the favorable schedule this year. It very much swings in Mississippi State's favor next year. And I think that's important to understand. you got to look at the big picture. We talk about chestnut checkers. You know, when I began to think about all these things, you know, what's best for us 
long term? What is best for us? You know, is Mike Leach can get can Mike Leach get us to Atlanta? I don't know. I'd like to think so, but I don't know. But I do think he can consistently have us win in eight, nine ball games. And I think occasionally the stars line up just right and we could be a double digit win team. And I think next year's one of those years. I think we could be a ten win team next year. But look at the old miss schedule. They get Mercer, blah. They go to Tulane. That could be a little dicey, right? Could be. They should win that game. Then you host Georgia Tech. You never know who's going to be, have a job there. And then you get to this. You go to Alabama. That's your first SEC game. I don't know that I would want them first, but especially on the road. Home to LSU. Home against Arkansas. Then you go to Auburn. Home against Vandy. Home against A&M. And then you go to Georgia. Then you get UL Monroe before you travel to Mississippi State. So it's not a great schedule, but you look at the non-conference and you say, you know what, they should win the four non-conference games. The two-lane game could be interesting, having to go down there, you know, and that would still be an upset. I mean, Ole Miss should still be expected to win that football game. But two-lane could make it interesting. But, you know, they should win those four. But when you start looking at these road trips, not good. Not good. And so then all of a sudden you begin to think, okay, we finished with the same record in 2022, 8-4. And State wins nine or ten games, and let's say Ole Miss wins seven or eight. Now, all of a sudden, now you look at the trajectory of the two programs, things are a little different now. Now, all of a sudden, it's like, oh, well, now Mississippi State has passed us. They've caught us or whatever. You know, because you got to think, too, is this NCAA transfer portal stuff sustainable? We see at Ole Miss this year, it's made a difference. Is it sustainable? What's going to happen next year? You're going to go out and sign a dozen kids every year in the portal? What's that going to do to your high school recruiting? What's that going to do to your returning players? So all that matters. So there's still some things left to unfold. We have to focus on what matters most right now, and that's winning the Egg Bowl and then catching them in the standings and beating them in a tiebreaker and having an opportunity to go to a better bowl game. Because it doesn't matter what you were ranked in September. What matters is how you finish. They remember what you do in November. Mississippi State has a chance to change the script on how the story of the 2022 football season in this state will be written. If you haven't done so, go to dogpilethebook.com. You get all my sports books there. There's Dogpile, Flim Flam, Stark Villains, Alpha Dogs. Not many of those last two left. Flim Flam's been selling again, too. I don't know who you guys have been talking. I think what we're seeing is a lot of people bought Dogpile, and that was the first book of mine they read, and they're going back and buying the back catalog, and I appreciate you guys doing that. You go to Dogpile the Book, you can get personalized or signed copies direct from my publisher. Or you can buy at bookstores everywhere else. And if you're looking for Stark Villains gear, and you certainly should be, go to StarkVillains.com, get T-shirts, hoodies, things like that uh, sent directly to you. And I do own the copyright on that, the, pad, the trademark, excuse me. If you're looking for Blooms of Oleander, you can find that in great bookstores everywhere. You can order through Amazon.com, BarnesandNoble.com, BooksAmillion.com. I appreciate so many of you that so proudly display the Steve Robertson books on your, on your mantle. And many of you are not even poetry fans. But uh, I'll, I'll tell you, it was interesting. I had a guy... Contact me. I wrote a poem early last last week. I was kind of experiencing some raw emotion. That guy hit me up, and he goes, hey, you don't know me, but I'm in recovery too, and I'd like to use your poem at our next poetry reading. I'd like to read it, and I'd like to invite you to come at some point too to come be a part of that. And so uh, I like to write about things that I'm feeling. It helps me to heal, and maybe you're one of those people too. That's what great music and writing does is it allows us to kind of share what's in our heart and give us an opportunity to heal and begin to feel better about life. And so I share that. I don't know if I'll ever write another poetry book. I don't know. I write poetry all the time. I'm sure at some point my, 
my family will encourage me to, to do another poetry book, but, you know, we'll see. I, I do those things for me, right? And then I, sometimes I share them and sometimes I don't. But I hope that you have something that you can use in your life that helps you get your emotions out, to express yourself. That, that's the whole key to life is finding a way to express yourself. Until before that, we're just bozos on the bus, man. You know, it's like once we find out how to express ourselves, whether it be through music or, or through service or whatever, you know, you've got all these ideas and all this promise, and it's just so difficult to share that until you figure out your vehicle. And so I encourage you to do that whenever you can. Listen, love your family this week. I'll have all my kids together. I won't be my wife until uh, next week, uh, and then I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to love her considerably, I can tell you that. But uh, think about the people you love and who you're thankful for, and never miss an opportunity to tell them how much you love them. And I don't just mean the lip service thing. Hey, I love you. So you know what? I just want you to know what a difference you've made in my life. I know many of you are maybe not as articulate or or well-spoken as me, but as long as you're talking from the heart, people recognize authenticity. I know a lot of people that are extremely uh, gregarious and articulate that are soulless people. Many of them work in politics, but my point is when you let people, somebody know, you look them in the eye and you tell them you love them and you mean it, they know it. They do. They know it. And I love all of you. And I want you and your families to have a tremendous Thanksgiving holiday, uh, no matter where you are or what you're doing. And, and uh, I would be remiss if we didn't close the show with this. Two big things here. Thank you to the American farmer. Thank you. From the bottom, bottoms of our heart, it's a thankless job. But thank you for what you do for our nation. You clothe us. You feed us. We don't say thank you enough. And for our armed men and women around the world, protecting our freedom. Many of you will not be with your families. You, you would do anything to be there with them, and maybe you're going to be, maybe, if you're lucky, you'll get a Zoom call. Maybe you get a phone call. Maybe you can get a text in. And I can tell you, the last couple of weeks, being apart from my wife has gotten to me. I cannot begin to imagine being a world away from the people that you love the most and not being able to touch them. And so, Thank you for your service, and I look forward to the day when you're back reunited with those you love the most. God bless all of you, and God bless America. Until next time, let's all live our lives in a way we make more friends than enemies, and people can see a difference in the way we live. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.